Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. We release our podcasts in three different formats. We have our seminar series, which gives us a chance to listen back to presentations we've had at previous events. We have our 10-minute lesson series, where we take a particular policy topic and just really hit upon the key points we think people need to know within that sort of 8 to 12-minute time period. And then we have our interview series where we chat to policy experts on a really wide range of topics. And this week, it's one of those. I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues in the sector, Izzy Petri, she's Research and Policy Officer for St Vincent de Paul, and Nicola Fox, who is a National Development Officer with MABS, that's the Money Advice and Budgeting Service, their support, CLG. Izzy and Nicola chat with me about energy poverty, bringing the unique insights that they both have from the organisations that they represent. We discuss what energy poverty means, how it's being experienced in Ireland at the moment, and the supports that are available and what our long and short-term policy asks would be in this space. We hope you enjoy. Firstly, as always, thank you very much for your time and your energy and your passion and your expertise and sharing it with me. I'm going to, I think I might just begin, I suppose, with just who you are, what your background is in the organisation you work for, and I'll go alphabetically, either by first name or surname, I don't know, I might go first name. (laughs) So Izzy, I'll start with you. If you can just let us know a bit about yourself and the organisation you work for, please. Hi, my name is Izzy Petrie. Um, I am a research and policy officer at St Vincent de Paul in our social justice team. Um, so I kind of work or focus on the the energy policy and the energy poverty side of things, and then also the income policy area. Very good. And Nicola? So thanks for having me, Suzanne. Um, I'm Nicola Fox. I'm a national development officer with MAPS, and MAPS is the state's money advice and budgeting service. So what I do is I offer casework technical support to our staff on the ground, and I also act as a point of contact between MAPS and um, the energy regulator, the CRU, and the main energy suppliers. I mean, I'll admit that the reason that I, I wanted to speak to both of you was that I'm very conscious you have experience of the lived reality of energy poverty because you're you've got frontline and also you've got experience then about the national policy pieces as well and what government is doing and what organizations are doing so i just thought it was great to be able to to marry those two things together in in one sort of conversation i might start with i suppose a energy poverty as a definition it would be a definition sort that is used in the energy poverty action plan but i mean i suppose I think about it I think we think about it in quite a functional way you know just is the household able to afford adequate heating adequate energy resources which obviously then can I suppose manifest or come about in lots of different ways so I think I kind of approach it in that kind of practical way yeah because I, I I'm conscious of that when when people talk about energy poverty being viewed as a percentage of the income spent yeah. on energy I'm always wary of those because if you're if the line is 10 percent and you're either nine or 11 it doesn't mean that you are or aren't sometimes so i suppose just to be i I would agree with you i think it's that inability to keep your home warm regardless of where you are in the socioeconomic spectrum so that would be also my understanding and i suppose nicola that's what you would see yeah so i think i think a lot of organizations they adopt that income-based approach where they'll Mm. assess it on on affordability but i think across the sector there's kind of an agreement that it's again an inability to afford an acceptable amount of warmth or 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 energy to keep your home warm 
when it comes to a percentage, if you are a high income earner and you also like to leave the telly on and the light on, so you could be spending an enormous amount of your large income on energy, but not be in what we would consider to be energy poverty. So I just want to make sure that all three of us are sort of using that same framework when we talk about it, which is just your income doesn't support your ability to keep your house warm or keep the lights on. And Yeah, and I think actually, Suzanne, the, the ESRI report that came out last summer um, kind of highlighted that, that actually um, higher income families had had been just as negatively impacted by the high cost of energy as, as low income. And I suppose we haven't really seen that documented before that. No, that's it. There was a presumption that you've got wiggle room. And again, I think that's maybe why the conversation shifted as well, is that if middle income households were feeling the crunch, there was probably a, an increased understanding then of just how difficult it would be for low and fixed income households. Is it your organisation obviously is working frontline and is in contact with households who are struggling to pay energy costs. I mean, what can you give us a flavour maybe, obviously with the, the confidentiality aspect of it, but even just in terms of the numbers of people you see, the types of people you see, is it rural, is it urban? Just even give us a flavour of what SVP is seeing. Mm, yeah, and I mean, definitely we're seeing the numbers of people um we're supporting kind of in energy poverty or really struggling with their um, energy costs going up. It went up by um, around 40% last year. And then for the first, when we look at the first quarter of this year, that's that's gone up again quite significantly against the first quarter of last year. So we are sort of seeing, I suppose, the number of people we're supporting going up and up. Um, but in terms of, I suppose, what people are struggling with, we're re really just seeing the size of people, the size of bills, sorry, really, really catching up with people kind of. And that has, I suppose, been coming up for, for a good while now, you know, during this energy price crisis is just the shock factor of the size of the bills that people that come through to people just maybe, you know, you wouldn't have been able to imagine it before. But just really those big numbers are, are really caused that kind of emotional shock and distress to people. And then the other side of that is obviously prepay customers and just the speed with which the top up just doesn't just doesn't get through the days or, or the week anymore. And then the the reality really facing people about, you know, um, just not going to be able to afford to get enough energy to get through the week. What what other kind of where can I make cutbacks, you know? either on the energy side of things how can I free our money to kind of top up the meter again or for for bill pay customers I think like the real fear of the bill coming down the line sort of that sort of unknown of like you know I know that the meter's ticking away in the background and I'm not going to be able to afford the next bill that comes through so I think that kind of just I suppose the distress side of things is is really clear and that's what members are really seeing. SVP members are really seeing when they're supporting people at the moment. And then, as you say, you know, different situations facing different people, different groups of people, obviously in rural areas, oil would be a big, um, you know, fuel source, heating source for people. Um, there have been times, you know, where oil has just skyrocketed in the last kind of year or so. And then people faced with, you know, the oil tank being empty, you know, or, you know, things like having to um, pay more for smaller top-ups and kind of managing that way. Um, and then different costs kind of facing rural households as well in terms of, of transport. 
but yeah I suppose and I think Nicola would have good insight on this too on kind of you know just the different households different kind of household types who are finding things really difficult we would definitely support one parent um, households you know a lot of the time they would be I think the the, the kind of group support most often um by SVP and then you, we see that in the national the national data as well you know very high poverty rates for one parent families and also kind of energy poverty you know a real part of that as well do you sort of see something similar then Nicola in terms of the, the clients that MABS is supporting yeah absolutely so, so as we've been seeing the same thing the level of clients presenting with energy energy debt has increased but the volume of debt that they're presenting with is much higher than previous years and I suppose part of the work that we do is to try to set up affordable payment plans for the clients and the, I suppose the most pressing issue for our client base at the moment is the ongoing cost of usage so I suppose our clients can't even afford what they're using every week let alone any affordability towards a debt repayment so then they find it quite difficult to engage with their supplier to set up a payment plan there's also been an increase in the number of emergencies. So calls from particularly with clients with prepay meters, but no, uh, who've self-disconnected mm-hmm. um, and, you know, don't have any money for two or three days to, to reconnect. So I suppose we're trying to clamber to make contact with suppliers to get emergency credit. And I suppose we had a lot of that, particularly with the, the gas pay-to-go meters there during the winter months. And I suppose just to highlight, I know we're coming into the summer months now and you would think that things would be getting easier, but actually from last May till September, was one of our busiest periods so what the the moratorium and disconnections just ended there at the end of march so we've actually had a really really busy the two months and i said we can just see it actually getting busier over the summer months not quieter i appreciate like there was a recent eroctus joint eroctus committee on sort of looking at energy poverty and that was one of the things that you were very clear on is it was that people are going into the summer not 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 breathing a sigh of relief thinking oh that's ground my bills will drop they were desperately trying to clear as much of their arrears from last winter before they entered into this winter. So it isn't it isn't as cut and dry as it's going to be, you know, it's warm out, it's beautiful out that you can turn the heat off or whatever. Because, I mean, your electricity usage probably roughly stays the same. Yeah, the other issues, particularly with the, the gas pay-as-you-go meters, are that they're, they can standing charges continue to accrue over the summer period. Um, and obviously, where the cost of food and transport and everything else is dramatically increased, people don't have the affordability to top up their meter over the summer months just to keep the standing charges at bay. So what happens then, they grow and grow. And then ordinarily, clients represent then in September time with about 80 or 100 euro worth of outstanding standing charges on the meter. And um, so that devalues every top up then that they make during the winter months. And then I suppose we've also heard from suppliers that the gas general gas debt is at an all-time high so I think there's very few customers who are going to be moving into winter 23 without carrying debt from last winter and like I said because the cost of usage is so high there's very little affordability in people's budgets to bring down that debt without government assistance or, or supplier support. I mean just to pick up on something that Izzy had said as well about the, the the increase in cost a piece of work we had done recently we're taking a five-year reference period from 2018 to 2023 and the CSO found that prices for electricity, gas, or the fuel prices increased by 102.2% in that period. Now, I don't think it's, I don't think it's state secret. My wages did not go up by 102.2% between 2018 and 2023. I very much doubt yours did. I can't imagine anybody's did. And anybody on a fixed income, certainly there was nowhere near that type of increase. 
And just something that he has said kind of triggered off for me that link between energy po poverty, energy poverty, and food poverty. So, as you said, if you're having to make a choice about pay the rent, because that's the MAB's approach is priority debts and secondary debts, priority debts, roof over the head, food on the table, heat bill, light bill, any statutory debt that's going to land you in trouble, so your TV license may be a fine, they are always paid first. And then, but what happens then when you've got to choose between three different priorities. So food, uh, I mean, I know it's not a conversation about food poverty, but is that, do you think that's where people are, are digging into their food budget to be able to try and top up the meter? Is that what you're saying? Is yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about um, where people sort of try and find that money that, you know, in reality, they don't have, they're not finding it from, you know, a, a magic a magic pool of the extra money, they're finding it from somewhere else. So, you know, it's, it's never without consequences when people are on a very low income, you know, when they're finding money for, for these bills or the meter. So, yeah, definitely food bills, particularly, you know, we would see parents kind of cutting back on the quality or the amount of food they're eating. And, you know, they would prioritise their children, um, but sort of at their own expense throughout the week, you know, facing like, you know, a few, a few days without the food they need and things like that so definitely food poverty is completely sort of linked mm. with energy poverty just in terms of that trade-off that happens and I suppose the weekly the weekly budget the weekly bills but equally you know it can also impact on other areas you know people making having to kind of make decisions if they're also facing kind of rent rent arrears or things like that and you know that's I think where the real distress comes in is you know I've got to pay off this one and then I've got to pay off this this one just to keep kind of my head above water. I suppose just to add to that we've also seen an increase in maths and the number of our clients who've borrowed to try and meet these payments for essential needs such as from the credit union or illegal money lenders and things like that so we've certainly seen quite a large portion of our client base borrowing just to cover essential payments and that's when you know you're in trouble absolutely i mean has covid there was a, an impact in terms of rent arrears and utility arrears you could see sort of creeping up right the way through covid and is there still much of the sort of residue of that left or has that sort of washed through and now it's the impact of the cost of living crisis I think in particularly in the energy space, there was a huge amount of bill shock during COVID because obviously the meter readings were suspended during yeah. various lockdowns. So there's a lot of legacy debt, old debt. Um, and I suppose the people who are struggling now would be the, the same cohort of, of clients who were struggling then. So it's 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 just debt upon debt upon debt over the last three winters. It's kind of a perfect storm, to be honest. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously energy poverty isn't new. We're obviously, you know, talking about it much more in the last couple of years, but um, certainly at SVP and you know I'm sure MAPS as well we, we know that energy poverty was around before we can see in our official statistics energy poverty was around before I suppose what's happening now is it affects more people and it's a sort of it's a deeper energy poverty you know people are spending more of their income on energy and you know as we're just saying there the debt carries on for longer it's higher debt so there's that that kind of depth of energy um, poverty is, is is increasing is I guess why it's it's so important that we, um, I guess, really focus in and target on those groups who are kind of really struggling with, you know, yeah, the, the really big bills that are going to be really hard to pay back and things like that. But yeah, just, I mean, I suppose when we look at um, people's overall incomes and we know so many people, people who are very low paid work or people who are kind of uh, on social welfare incomes, we do know that just 
the figures just the figures just are that their incomes are inadequate to meet all of their essential needs and we see that through kind of the minimum essential standards of living research we see that consistently so that that has been the case before and it's just kind of even more the case now which is why we need kind of those comprehensive solutions I suppose. And in terms of the, the support stand that your organisations provide Nicola what does MAPS do for somebody who's struggling with a bill? So as you pointed out earlier, Stan, we look at someone's budget um, and the main thing we do is, is ensure that they have their basic needs covered. So we make an allowance for food, light, heat and, and housing. And that's there are priority payments. And thereafter, if there's any level of affordability, we'll look at setting up payment plans or work with them to advocate in their behalf to set up payment plans with their creditors in terms of, in this case, with their energy supplier we'll work with energy suppliers to set up affordable payment plans. And actually, the regulator last September um, introduced enhanced consumer protection measures to ensure that suppliers are working with these customers um, and assessing each case on its own merits and looking at everyone's you know, affordability on a case-by-case basis. So we'll work with them in that sense. Um, but we also have energy hardship funds with five of the main suppliers. So where someone has been impacted and is experiencing financial difficulty we can work with their supplier to look at having some of the debt written down under these energy hardship funds it depends each supplier offers a a different level of write-down and again each case is assessed on its own merits but it is another aspect of the kind of support and assistance that we can offer and is the svp then the sort of support that you would provide so yeah so people would sort of get in touch and and I suppose, make that kind of request for assistance. Um, And then they would uh, be connected in with their local SVP conference um, and sort of meet and speak with um, the local SVP membership and sort of assess the situation, see what's going on. You know, there's often a few different elements going on. And then in terms of of energy costs, there are a few different ways to support people. You know, one of the things is, I suppose, trying to get to grips with the situation, and then that might be connecting um, the person in with different supports, whether that's the social welfare office, whether that's MABS, and obviously SVP kind of conferences would have good relationships with, with MABS and different local support services, but also offering kind of that kind of direct assistance where it can maybe, it can be, you know, a voucher to free up some of the income to meet the costs, the energy costs, whether that's an energy voucher or sort of, sort of speaking to suppliers, trying to get that for repayment plan see what can be done about the debt so that kind of direct assistance there as well my god and i appreciate again that there you know that there are additional needs payments and exceptional needs payments that people can access through their local social welfare office as well so it's just there are supports and solutions out there but it is getting harder and harder as you said if somebody has a bill of eight nine hundred a thousand it's very hard to bring that down to a level where Whereas before, if somebody maybe had arrears of three or four hundred, there was it was kind of easy to probably stretch that out over a year or two years or something like that. So as you said, the levels make it just harder to deal with, just to be able to bring it down. I'm conscious as well that the flip side of of an energy poverty conversation is reducing our energy usage in a household setting as well. So if I know that like you're you're kind of involved in that space of retrofitting and sort of pushing for I suppose smarter energy usage or trying to support low-income households to use less energy. Yeah and obviously this is a sort of an opportunity side of what we're doing to sort of address and tackle climate changes you know nationally we're trying to reduce the energy 
use we use at home through kind of energy efficiency and retrofitting measures and then part of that is this really important kind of government funding stream which provides kind of fully funded or you know free upgrades for um households on uh, home owning households on certain social welfare payments which is is really really important and it's kind of been ramping up over previous years and it's you know it's a, it's a great measure and it's great funding kind of stream to have out there I mean there are kind of issues with how long households have to wait especially I suppose in, in the context we're in with an energy price crisis as you'd like you know a household who is eligible to be able to see the benefit within a few months um so that's really important but we we know that doesn't reach all households you know particular group we would be worried about we would see very often at SVP as private renting households and issues with the kind of quality of private rented housing out there that the people are living living in um and so we really need that to become part of the plan as well you know we need to make sure that as we do these really important retrofits that it doesn't all going towards the same place we're not kind of having a housing situation where the quality just gets more and more unequal between different groups so we really need to make sure that you know everyone is part, part of that plan like everyone is accounted for in the plan which goes for social housing as well you know again really good really important retrofits taking place in social housing but we just need to make sure that you know we're accounting for all social housing so that you know we're all getting there shane coakley has done a piece of research that I was looking at. Uh, he's due to speak at our conference later on this year, so save the date. But he, you now obviously it's, it's research, it's, it's, there's lots of stats and there's lots of charts and there's lots of really, really interesting figures. But he was looking, I suppose, at the, the impact of doing a retrofit on a small social housing estate. And when I say estate, I think it was, it was a really tiny little, maybe 12 or 13 houses, very, very small, so little bungalows in Waterford. But the one story that really, really struck out in my mind was it was older people living in these little bungalows. And one woman had taken a fall at night and had lain there overnight. And when she managed to get through, when you know, got help the following morning and the ambulance turned up, what they had said to her was if the house hadn't been warm overnight, they don't think she would have actually made it. But because of the retrofit and because of just being able to have a warm home all day and all night, uh, it it actually saved her life. And I know that sounds really cheesy and really kind of cliched, but that was that was the real difference, you know. So her, her energy usage actually increased because it was so cheap and so it was renewable, it was sustainable, that heat pumps in, that insulation done. So there is there's a lot of there's a lot that goes with just being able to live in a in a warm, safe home. I mean, Nicola, do you kind of see the the health impacts, either the physical or the mental health impacts of living in energy poverty through your client base. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I had read actually a study recently about uh, studies that were conducted in New Zealand, um, and they were able to show in in circumstances where homes had been retrofitted that there had been like a fifteen percent reduction in the number of sick days for children in schools, um, and obviously the the number of children suffering with respiratory illness and stuff had, had greatly reduced. But I suppose I think something like 30% of our housing stock is 40 years older, 40 years older or, or older. Um, so we've like a considerable amount of work to do in that space. And I suppose from a MAPS perspective, we would see it most negatively impacting those in the private rental uh, market because this, those SEII grants are only available to those who are homeowners. Mm. So I suppose within MAPS, we have called for 
tax incentives maybe to be offered to the likes of landlords to incentivize them to engage with those those retrofitting opportunities because I suppose again those in private rental accommodation seem to suffer the most. That sort of also reflect is what you're saying I suppose the, the private rented sector and to maybe tie that back in then to go back to the the prepay meters is that a cohort who who are primarily using prepay is the private rented sector either too choice or the fact that it's already there when they move in? There is certainly, yeah, definitely a group of private renters and, and renters who like there would be a prepay meter already in the house when they move in. And then there's that, I suppose, question of, you know, how that, you know, they're not choosing the meter and, you know, prepay meters do, especially at the moment, come with kind of increased risks, bigger risks, because there is that risk of self-disconnection when prices are, well, prices are so high, the risk is higher that, it, you know, it was already there. There were already people facing this situation. But, you know, just simply with the costs the way they are, that's that's happening so much more. So, you know, if, if a renter moves into a home and they um, have a prepay meter already fitted, you know, they're stuck in this situation where that's how they have to manage their energy use and it's, and it's not their choice. There's um, a lot that needs to be done to protect prepay customers. And also, I think there's probably a body of work that needs to be done about different issues and particular issues facing people in energy poverty in the private rented sector. We've obviously touched on the kind of housing quality side of things, but I also think there are probably different things that can be teased out about, you know, different kind of situations where people have different levels of control over their bills. They're in, you know, maybe yeah. they're in kind of a shared housing situation with different flatmates you know there's all sorts of different kind of nuances of people's experience that I think maybe we don't have enough research on yet we haven't kind of really teased out what the implications are for people that we need to have those kind of different consumer protections in place kind of different kind of research and kind of representation of their experiences yeah I think as well because there is people don't have like security over their tenancies there's a fear um, for tenants to approach their landlord so as we would see lots of cases where the bills are in their landlord's name they're not in the tenant's name and I suppose there's difficulties then in assessing usage and setting up payment plans we also saw, saw instances of where the landlords hadn't passed over the government credit the 200 euros to the to the tenants so again there's definitely issues and I think there is a fear amongst tenants to approach their landlord to address these issues and fear that they you know they'll lose the tenancy then and and again, I'm conscious this is something that does stretch right the way across the socioeconomic spectrum. So you will you will have households on what would be considered medium or relatively good incomes who are struggling with their bills. I mean, you know, I presume you're both saying that, Nicola, I imagine they're coming through the helpline and through the services. Like people that you wouldn't have seen three years ago or four years ago struggling with the energy costs. Oh, absolutely. And I suppose suppliers, suppliers would say the same thing, that they, they're speaking to customers that they've never had to speak to before, who've always had like a history of performing direct debits. Um, but I think the gas electricity rose by 60% in 2022. So the biggest issue, is, even for the middle income households, is that there's an inability to budget for a bill that you just don't know what it's you know it's hard to budget for something when you've no idea what it's going to be and um, and we also saw an increase in the number of clients presenting who thought that their meter was faulty and i know gas networks ireland had reported the same thing they're like no there must be something wrong you know and, and and i suppose gas networks ireland in particular wouldn't be a customer facing organization they rarely speak to their customers directly they speak to suppliers but they had seen a huge increase particularly in january and february of people bringing them saying that there's something wrong with my meter there's and again people who ordinarily never had an issue paying their bill and just couldn't 
to comprehend that their gas or their electricity bill could possibly be that high. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's just important for people to know, as you said, there's a cohort of people who, who never had arrears, always managed, and just to know that the services that you both provide are for everybody. Yeah, just on that, Suzanne, just to say, it was in the although it, it all sounds very doom and gloomy, yeah. um, what I will say is that the appetite for suppliers to engage with the customers is at an all time high. Like they're really they're reaching out to ourselves and SVP, looking to see what can be done for particularly like vulnerable customers, and um, they do not want to disconnect anybody. The payment plans will be set up in line with people's affordability, and I suppose their customer service teams are highly trained. That like they really do want to work with people to to come to solutions. Um, and I suppose just the key message on that side is just to engage early. And even in terms of coming approaching MABS, like we would love for people to, to 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 present to our service when they haven't fallen into debt yet. So again, we're not just there for those who have utility debt, even just from a budgeting perspective, the earlier that people present and, and look for help, the better. Yeah, very much. I want to go back to one word you've said there, vulnerable. How is that defined by the energy companies? So it's actually defined. It's it is it's a statutory definition, and it it doesn't include financial vulnerability. It it predominantly concerns age and physical and mental disabilities. Am I right, Izzy? Um. So at this, I think they they're looking the the Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications did say at the end of last year that they were going to extend that definition formally to include financial vulnerability. But my understanding is that they haven't done that yet but that that is their intent i don't know is if you want to come in on that and clarify yeah yeah just to say yeah we really welcome that announcement too and then i, I think the announcement was it was sort of time limited i think i think it was it sort of said something along the lines of this will last for the next two winters or something you know the extension of the the definition to financial financially vulnerable household so one we would like to see kind of progress on putting that in place and see you know what how's it going to work you know how are people going to sign up to it um because we know with the existing registers that are kept of of vulnerable customers um there are lots of people don't know about them so they're not signed up to them already although that's been going up a lot which is really really good and we kind of hope that really that trajectory of people signing up is keeps going up to to cover people but how's it going to work when the definition is expanded and also we think you know there's there's such a clear argument to keep to keep this kind of more permanently and not just during this time of, of a price crisis kind of if you if prices you know aren't going to come down to what they were before and then however much they do come down it's a really important mechanism to have within the market that we know who is more vulnerable to kind of struggling with their energy costs you know we need to have that visibility in the market of that mechanism that says like these people to engage with them more, they might need extra support, they need extra protection. So I think we just need to have more of those mechanisms at place in the market that can sort of differentiate people and offer that extra support. And I think, yeah, the vulnerable, vulnerable customer kind of for priority and special services registers, I think, as they're kind of called need to be used more. I think they've been, re- they've been recognized as, you know, what they can do. And I think that push just needs to keep going forward really. In terms of support as well, then in Ireland, I'm conscious we have people listening in all across the world who probably aren't familiar with how how we do things here. But there is something called a fuel allowance, which is a payment given to certain cohorts once you meet certain criteria within the social welfare system. And I know, Izzy, you've just come out with a sort of a pre-budget ask on that. What is it that SVP would be looking for for the fuel allowance for, for the future? 
So what we're looking for is, I suppose, a couple of a couple of aspects on the fuel allowance. One to kind of restore the value of the fuel allowance. We saw kind of one-off payments last year, but we didn't see um, increases in in the kind of weekly rate or the or the core value of the fuel allowance. So this year, I suppose, we want to see the, kind of the budget used differently and to kind of restore the value of the fuel allowance again, and to increase the the annual value by um, six hundred and eighty euros. Um, and the other aspect of it, because the fuel allowance is such an important payment for people, is to extend who gets the fuel allowance, um, and particularly uh, a group we would be really concerned about and we think really would benefit from the fuel allowance is households on the working family payment. So households who are uh, families who are in work but are on kind of low wages um, and so receive the working kind of the working family payment but also get the fuel allowance. And then currently there's also time limits for eligibility for job seekers of 12 months. So we would like to also see the fuel allowance just go to all, all job seekers as well. Our, our colleague in the sector, Mary Morphy from Age Action, pointed out recently that the expansion of eligibility for fuel allowance, which came in in last year's budget, opened up access to the fuel allowance for a certain cohort of over 70s. But that also came with linked benefits, which was access to the retrofitting grants that you touched upon. So it's not just the fuel allowance, it's it's also linked with access to these. And I appreciate that maybe this was to do with older people who may already be in homes that they own, but it is possible as well for, and I get unconscious, the younger you get, the less likelihood home, home ownership is, is an issue. But it does, it comes with other benefits, doesn't it, to open up eligibility for fuel allowance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that point, you know, that age action is, is making is really important. And I suppose, yeah, maybe it would benefit more people over 70 in terms of their homeownership, but certainly it's just a benefit to, to increase that eligibility for yeah. funding to anyone. So definitely, yeah, yeah. we'd really um, welcome that. And just, I was just looking, uh, I suppose, do, when I say research, I just mean Googling before we spoke, <laughs> which is, uh, I found a, a PQ there from the 23rd of May this year, and it was to ask the Minister for Social Protection if she will adjust the rate of fuel allowance in a way that will be determined by a strong evidence base on the minimum energy needs of households. So the answer was that there has never been a link between the rate of fuel allowance and the minimum energy needs of households because the minimum energy needs would, would fluctuate. But it is interesting, I suppose it's just interesting, the point they're trying to make is that if the fuel allowance needs to be linked in some way to what's actually needed as opposed to just, well, it was 15 last year and then we an have arbitrary five, figure. an arbitrary yeah. figure. So I just yeah. thought it was interesting that, of course, the answer was no, but that's where something like the Messel would come in to play is that at least it's it's based in some sort of reality. And I think, I think you're right, Izzy, if... If it's not going to go back to the way it was, then either people's incomes do need to increase to match this new reality of of higher energy costs. Well, I think well, I think too. Sorry, <laughs> no. I was going to say my understanding with the industry how it works is they bulk buy supply like two years in advance. So although energy prices on you know the good news is that they are coming down, mm. they're trending downwards. Is that we're not really going to see from a residential perspective we're not going to see the benefits of those reductions for one or two more winters you know so major efforts need to be made in terms of income support in the meantime and also yeah and that just reminded me of another point on the sort of cost and income side of things obviously we need to be doing as much as we can on both um is 
there are all sorts of these these kind of market mechanisms going on with costs obviously so there's that delay about what what price reductions we're seeing but we can introduce a social energy tariff which is another, one of the things that SVP is calling to be looked at where we kind of target government support to bringing the cost down for the groups we know are at highest risk of energy poverty so uh, households on means tested social welfare and we sort of introduce you know that 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 other mechanism to to kind of ensure that this group who we we know are particularly vulnerable to energy poverty and all of the ramifications that come with that have an extra level of protection from government where government can reduce their bill costs when prices are high you know as needed bring bring kind of a discount on that bill through a particular tariff for people in energy poverty very cool and i think there's other member states who offer that currently don't they and they do quite successfully as well so there yeah are, there are other countries we could look to for examples of that yeah so I was just going back to that piece you were saying about that elderly lady, Suzanne, and I think my only fear is that with the Reduce Your Use campaign, which was obviously extremely beneficial, is that there's that other message, that I suppose, particularly that older people do need to hear, is that it is OK to turn on your your light and your heat and that they shouldn't be afraid to do so. Yeah. Um, and that if they do fall into difficulty and the bill does get too high, that there's lots of support available, albeit from CWO, SVP, ourselves, um, and or their supplier directly, and that people shouldn't be afraid to turn on yeah. the heat in the winter months, that, there, that there's there's help and assistance available. And again, for me, everything goes back to sort of, the, you know, the joined up thinking, which is, uh, I was at, I think it was maybe the Social Inclusion Forum last year, and at the workshop I was at, there'd been somebody there who was uh, frontline health, and so what they're seeing more and more and more is older people just presenting with when I say just frailty, no major health condition, but frailty. And the frailty then is linked with not eating enough, not eating well and not keeping warm enough. So these things, as you said, these things really, really are important. The income supports. And I keep saying, like when we looked at the, the silk figures, the CSO silk figures on poverty, from February, I mean, that was the cohort that had increased was those over 65 in poverty. But we are going to be a country of older people over the next kind of, you know, three or four decades. So this is really important for us to be able to stay well and warm will be those income supports and getting housing retrofitted, especially if people are going to live in private rented accommodation as well for their entire lives. You know, people aging out into the, the private rented sector. Um, thank you both very, very much. Thank you for listening. I hope you find it useful. You'll find links to both organisations in the notes of the podcast. So please, if you or anybody you know is experiencing difficulty with paying their energy bills, please do reach out. Please make sure that you do get whatever supports are available. If you have any ideas for any conversations you'd like us to have, any ideas for future episodes, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie. Until next time, stay safe.